Message from Starfleet Command, top priority. You are listening to the Trek Range Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 113, featuring the top five Kurtzman era episodes. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse, and I am the host of the Trek Ranks podcast. And tonight, as hard as this may be to believe, for the first time ever, we're just doing a topic that's our favorite Star Trek episodes. That's it. That's the topic. The only caveat is that we're narrowing it down from the... So basically, our top five episodes of Trek since 2009, also known as the top five Kurtzman-era episodes of Star Trek... And for this super fun topic, we have a couple of new guests joining us. I'm super excited about this. First up, making her Trek Ranks debut live from the Texas Expanse, it's Captain Pikachu on Twitter. Welcome, Captain. Pika Pika. (laughs) I know nothing about uh, Pikachu other than what I see (laughs) on your Twitter. So uh, I love it. He's so cute. Pikachu. I'm glad to bring Pikachu to your life. <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I really need to see the Pikachu movie. With uh, <laughs> is it any good? The the Ryan is it Ryan Gosling? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Sorry, I knew I'd get that. Mixed. I always get them mixed up. I'm such a cliche. Okay, I need to see that movie. All right, our second guest today is also a newcomer to Trek ranks, hailing us from. The NC Tar Heel in North in the North Carolina system. It's Dr. Beverly Falls. Beverly. Yeah, hi. So glad to be with you today. I am excited to have you on. I wanted to get both you guys on for the longest time, and we finally scheduled it. And I figured this topic would be a really good one to have you both on for. So, Captain Pikachu and Beverly for our first time guests like to get a quick trek origin story so so what's your trek backstory uh captain you first how and when did you get into trek and are you a completist kind of uh give us give us your backstory well i started with star trek when i was about nine years old when i first came to the u.s and i found randomly scrolling through the channels uh episodes of voyager that was on at the time and so I watched it and I thought, oh, this looks kind of interesting. And then Voyager went off the air and <laughs> Enterprise came about. <laughs> and that was my official Star Trek show from beginning to end. And yeah, it's uh, still my favorite Star Trek show, although that's about to be displaced as soon as Strange New Worlds <laughs> comes on. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it's still my Star Trek that I grew up with that I love very much. Just really because I was a little kid who had come to a new country and everything was new. And it was a new world, new language, new culture. And so I really related to the Enterprise story of just the early humans bumbling around in space trying to figure out how everything worked. And I was like, oh, so they're like me. They're all confused, too. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I relate to that. So that was always uh, something that was really fun for me to watch as a kid, to kind of feel like there were people who 
got what I was feeling. I am a completist. Uh, so you have so. gone back. So you went back and caught up on everything. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I basically found all the episodes that I could possibly get my hands on when uh, probably around the time when, you know, Enterprise was on the air. Maybe a few episodes here and there that I found later. But yeah, I mean, I've watched everything, but really remember everything it's it's sort of like that Gandalf moment in Lord of the Rings where he's like I have no memory of this place (laughs) and that's sort of my status with some older Star Trek shows where it's just I know things happen I know I've seen it I know I know these people but there's like a large chunk of everything that's just kind of a blur so it's a a very interesting thing Uh, I've been trying to uh, start a rewatch uh, in the recent years, just to kind of remember everything in chronological order, because I'd seen, I saw everything out of order, and I think that might be the reason why I don't right. remember so many things, because it's just like it's all over the place. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta watch everything by chronological order in story, and then I can be like, oh, now I remember these things. <laughs> well, that's always a good thing where you can go back and. Then you can feel like you're watching it again for the first time. So, yeah, that's yep. that's been that's been the really fun part. It's like it, because it's so long ago, and I watched it when I was much younger. So watching it now is like, oh, this is like experiencing it new, but like as an adult, <laughs> where like you're the way you look at things is so different. <laughs> yeah, makes yeah. a big difference too. I love it. So, and I love that you're how you connected with enterprise to your own experience that's super cool wait what country did you move from china oh from china yes awesome yeah okay. my, <laughs> quite my, a bit of a culture shock that's fantastic my dad was born in china so i have a affinity to uh to china and i've loved traveling there okay so beverly how about you what is your trek backstory you're uh you're an old school trekkie like me with original series right i am a old school the original (laughs) series girl um growing up in the south back in the 60s uh we were right there with civil rights women's rights in the neighborhood kids would watch the show and then go outside and play and i was uhura my younger sister she had to be an ensign or alien because they didn't have that many women on the show (laughs) (laughs) and um we were actually right there when all the Mercury and Apollo launches were happening and people thought being an astronaut was a definite career option. And then when uh, TNG came out, I was already a doctor named Beverly. So I was Dr. <laughs> Crusher. <laughs> you know how badly I just want to call you Dr. Beverly for this whole episode. So. <laughs> I would answer to that. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, from my perspective, I'm a Gene Roddenberry, optimistic vision of the future type of person. Oh, that is fantastic. So you picked up with Next Generation and just carried right through. That's that's kind of like what I did, too. So is the original series still your favorite series? Um, Actually, I'm waiting for Strange New Worlds, <laughs> like <laughs> Captain Pikachu. I love well. it. Well, that's perfect. We're going to talk about that a little bit in our diagnostic cycle. But first... Let's uh, let's get into this topic with our Trek Ranks recalibration. Let's start with something small, like a recalibration of the EPS manifolds. 
As regular listeners will know by now, general order number one of the Trek Range charters that we love Trek. We love to rank Trek via some deep dive topics just to get the conversation started. And remember, it's not about the ranks. That's just our excuse to talk about Star Trek. Because as Mr. Spock himself has said, our show is all about... Infinite diversity in infinite combinations, symbolizing the elements that create truth and beauty. No wrong answers. It's not about being right or definitive in any way. It's just about sharing the things we love about Star Trek. So we love it all from TOS to TNG, straight through to Enterprise and the Kelvin timeline and now Discovery and Short Treks and Star Trek Picard and Lower Decks as well. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast. Black Alert. Black Alert. And this episode is current through 801 episodes of Star Trek which currently is uh, through the third season of Star Trek Discovery. And one final reminder that we use episodes as our shorthand films, but the 13 films, or actually just three films today, are always in play as well. That's a very important designation for today's topic. Have boosted power to the communications bandwidth. We appreciate that, Mr. Kim. And you can find Trek Ranks on subspace at trekranks.com. You can contact me directly on Twitter at trekranks or at Enterprise Extra. You can also call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP at 609-512-5527. Okay, so Captain Pikachu and Dr. Beverly, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you on subspace, uh, Captain. Uh, everybody can find me on Twitter at Captain Pikachu. That's Captain in P-I-K-E. A-C-H-U, and I'm also on YouTube under the same name. And uh, Beverly, how about you? I'm on Twitter at DrBNC89. All right, let's get into our level one diagnostic to get into this topic. Run a level one diagnostic series. Come. So let's quickly define the scope of our episodes tonight as we break down the top five Kurtzman era episodes of Trek so Alex Kurtzman, I think as most people know, made his Trek debut as a co-writer on the 2009 Star Trek film that introduced us to the Kelvin timeline. And since that film, he has been a part of every single episode of Star Trek that we've had in the past 12 years, which is now a total of 75 episodes. That's three Kelvin movies, 42 episodes of Discovery, and 10 episodes each of Short Treks, Star Trek Picard, and of course, Lower Decks. And with about 50 episodes of Trek dropping between now and the summer of 2022, that's right, between the time we're recording this and probably about a year or maybe 13 or 14 months, we're going to have 50 episodes of Star Trek, including the oft-mentioned Strange New Worlds, which we can all can't wait for. <laughs> so I, I figured let's get this topic in right now, both in this little bit of a lull before we get into this incredible, I mean, yes, 50 episodes, people. There are 50 new episodes of Star Trek coming with Lower Decks, Prodigy, Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Picard. Maybe in that order. We'll, we'll see. But uh, very, very excited. So we're going to go through these 75 current Alex Kurtzman era episodes and make our picks right now. Uh, and let's start that with our prime directives. But what you're proposing is exactly the kind of tampering the prime directive prohibits. Okay, Captain Pikachu, let's start with you. How did you define your prime directive uh, in, in finalizing your picks? What uh, you use any criteria or just go with your favorites? How'd you do it? I wanted to go with just my favorites, but I feel like that would 
probably heavily lean towards one show or another. So I decided to, I wanted to pick basically what I felt like was the best or most impactful of every single show slash film. And it just so happens that between the Calvin Timeline, Disco, Picard, Lower Decks, and Short Treks, there's five. There's <laughs> so, five. Yes, that's, that works out perfect. Yeah, I wanted to honor sort of the variety of this era of Star Trek, which I always felt like is uh, one of its strengths. Uh, it's so true. Alex Kurtzman said that at the beginning of the Discovery kind of when you knew there were, this was the first of many shows coming that he wanted each film to be distinctive and different. And man, what a, what a great job they've done of that. They, they really, the variety is just amazing. So, all right. I love that. You're going to have a one of each. That's perfect. Uh, Beverly, how about you? How did you break it all down? Well, I went with the ones that I would want to take people to see. Oh, uh, I love it. The shows that to me just uh, really say Star Trek. That's fantastic. So basically an introduction for someone coming to the show. Yes. All right. I love that too. That is excellent. My prime directive was kind of, it was kind of laid out for me already. I've done my ranks for these individual series on trekranks.com and, and the Kelvin timeline films. So I really just needed to kind of figure out how to shuffle the deck and intertwine the episodes that I've that I've already known were, were among my favorites of, of these series. And I, I didn't want to, I, I, I thought about going your, your route, Captain Pikachu, but I decided to, to just see where my heart took me. <laughs> and since we've never really done a, a topic like this, uh, I didn't really have any other qualifier than just, these are my favorite episodes and I'm going to try to kind of break it down to the ones that, that, that I want to watch the most, which is normally how I do all my ranks. But if I can only watch one for the rest of my life, what am I picking? So yeah, that's kind so of. So you're where... saying you have faith of the heart? Is what yeah, you always, always. <laughs> all right, let's get into this first. Kudekaton, introduce us to the new order of things. It'll be alphas like us that determine the future of this quadrant. That will be the new order of things. Thank you, First Kudekaton. And as always, just a quick reminder on how we're going to go through the order of things first. Everyone will start with their five-word summary and a hashtag to tease their pick. Then we'll each reveal our top five Kurtzman-era episode and the reasons we're highlighting it. And at the end, we'll ask everyone for a few secondary system selections for the picks that just missed our list. So we'll have a chance to talk about more than just our top five. And as always, if we have any duplicate picks, we have to have some duplicates today. I would think <laughs> make sure you listen for the defiant torpedoes. <laughs> okay, Captain Pikachu, let's kick this off with you. What's your number five pick for your list of top five Kurtzman era episodes? Well, my five words and a hashtag is we can't go home again. Hashtag just keep swimming. It's the Star Trek Picard season one premiere remembrance. Oh, that's such a great pick. <laughs> such a great pick. I was very tempted by this one. Yeah, it's my. It's still my favorite episode of Star Trek Picard. Cool. Um, and it's just, there was something about it. I remember when I first saw it, it just like, it felt so confident. It felt like it knew what it wanted to be. It knew what it wanted to say. And, you know, Star Trek pilots tend to not be very particularly good at sometimes establishing what they want right off the bat. And sometimes it 
you know, it takes a little bit for them to find their sea legs. And I, mm-hmm. I just felt like with uh, Remembrance, it was almost like immediately you could feel like they were confident, they knew what they wanted, they knew what the story was going to be, and they were just very, very uh, happy in telling it. And also, it just felt like a very slow character drama, and you were just following Picard on this journey of him really kind of discovering himself and us discovering him again after so many years and learning to kind of see what the state of the world is and kind of, you know, you can't go back to the way things are. Things moved forward, time has moved on and you just got to keep going. And it's, and also it's just Patrick Stewart's performance as Picard. I think it was, it was just really amazing in that, uh, especially in that interview scene, because it just felt like, you kind of was watching Picard sort of not quite being like himself. But then in that scene, you feel that fire still there in him. And it's, and it's really cool. And also I love uh, Laris and Javon. (laughs) And I want them to have their own (laughs) spinoff. So (laughs) CSI Romulan, if they want to do it, I'm all up for it. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just felt like that episode was, just so tonally different from everything that we've gotten with Star Trek. And it was such a cool character study from the mindset of Picard to his life now and how he's got sort of this renewed energy to go forward. So like, it it was very, very interesting and very different from a uh, character piece that Star Trek has done before. I, I love that word confident. I think that is such a great description for this launching point for, uh, for Star Trek Picard, which is, uh, I just, I love it. And I, it's hard for me. I always, I just have the way my mind works. I see this episode and maps and legends and the end is the beginning. Just as this amazing three-parter, huge movie to launch the series. And I, I love the the pacing that they took to, uh, to get to that point, to get them into space for episode four. Well, Beverly, what's your take on Remembrance? I was so excited to uh, see them go back and knowing that Patrick Stewart would not do any more Star Trek unless there was uh, meat to the part. Right. And with the short tracks, uh, Children of Mars, that blew me away. So the backstory just was really amazing to me. Powerful, powerful stuff. I love it. Uh, okay, let's go to your pick, Beverly. Number five, what's your round five pick? All right, my five words are everyone is a little broken and hashtag what happened to you. So my pick is Picard, Broken Pieces, episode eight. Oh, man, this is such a good... <laughs> so I considered both of these. Broken Pieces just destroys me. It is so good. Uh, okay, tell us why you picked it. Well, first, it's so real because when you get a new computer now, as soon as you start opening up uh, it up, the technology makes it dis- in dis- um, just makes it distinguished from everybody else. And the holograms of Rios are exactly what I think the development of tech is going to be going forward. We have our avatars. They take some aspect of ourselves and... Um, 
that inner conflict that everybody has. Each of the characters had a trauma in their life that they were having to deal with. It's so good. The literary aspect of the way they 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 have uh, Rafi piecing this story together of of uh, Rios's backstory is so so wonderful. And then you have the stuff with Soji now removed from Depente and really now really dealing with the consequences of being an android and uh, and the, talking to Picard about it. So many amazing. Uh, moments in this episode it's really an underrated episode that i think people might have missed in terms of some of the, the big high points of the season i recommend everyone go back and catch this one i love that it's on the list uh captain pike Chu, what's your take i feel like after nepente this was like the episode i was looking for i was like uh santiago cabrera is one of my favorite actors and just everything that he brought to Rios and the different holograms. And I mean, I, I could say that was probably like a master class acting performance <laughs> that Seriously. he gave. And, yeah. and, you know, Rios was immediately like one of those characters that I felt like, you know, it w- I was immediately drawn to him and sort of this backstory that he has. And so to be able to see that and to, just see that relationship that he has with Rafi, which I, I felt like it's not always easy to find good platonic male-female relationships on TV shows or movies without it being romantic. So having uh, Rafi and Rios, it just just their relationship, I felt like it was it was just so beautiful and so caring and it gives so much more to both of those characters. And, you know, the the Picard's crew is a bit broken pieces here and there. So it was, it was just really beautiful to watch all of them sort of trying to figure out what to do next and who to be and sort of how to heal from everything that's been going on. And I thought it was like a great character piece. The past is written, but the future is left for us to write. And we have powerful tools, Rios. Openness, optimism, and the spirit of curiosity. All they have is secrecy and fear. And fear is the great destroyer. I'm not sure there's ever been a better title than Broken Pieces for all the uh, yeah. <laughs> for all the ways that it conveys that the story there. So good. Awesome pick, Beverly. Okay, I will go with my round five picks, changing gears slightly. Five words and a hashtag. Genius Trek homage is irresistible. Hashtag and anything but vindictive. It is from Lower Decks Crisis Point, the ninth episode of the season. When I was going through Lower Decks and started considering all of them, I just I kept coming back to this one, and I and I realized that this is my favorite episode of of this uh, series through season one. And and for twenty five minutes, I just can't believe how much they pack into twenty five minutes of this episode. It is absolutely insane. It's almost overwhelming. It's almost like it's almost too much for 25 minutes. I just, it's not only a movie homage, but the holodeck episode, or as Boimler says under his breath. And I have seen this a lot of times and I didn't even notice this line until I think the one of the later times I watched it he, when he's talking about the holodeck and, 
Mariner turns it into a, a, a movie and he says, this is an important work tool, not a fun thing to have a good time with. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> I mean, such a Boimler thing. Such a Boimler. The, the, the credits, the score, the, the, the film stock lines running through all the <laughs> film scenes, the, there's just every single second of this is an homage to some awesome movie thing. The ship crashing, rolling like a coin on the planet. The <laughs> lens flares, the new warp effect, the beaming, the generations lighting, the the flybys, of course. Even the opening with like they had this big location shoot. They're on their hydro scoots <laughs> having a great time. And then beep, beep. Oh, you got a mission changing gears to the to the uh to the story i just love it it's so good and then through all that though you still got this incredible amazing story with this character depth being revealed for tendy and boimler and rutherford he has feelings for billets <laughs> and of course mariner and her internal dialogue that plays out throughout the whole thing she's just so good just trying to come to grips with her own internal fears and uh her fear of failure and disappointing herself so I just love this episode. Uh, Crisis Point. Beverly, what's your take on it? Well, first off, with Lower Decks, um, that's like the rap version from R&B. It's really fast-paced to me. Yes, and, so, um, so true. And, and Bormler with the purple hair. <laughs> and, yeah. and then um, when she goes, Lower Decks, Lower Decks, that, that's like my favorite gift in the world <laughs> so good uh captain how about you I, I think i wrote in a review somewhere where like lower decks is just completely wild bonkers fun and they managed to somehow figure out how to tell really in-depth and meaningful character stories in the midst of all the bonkerness that's going on in the story <laughs> how do they do and it I, yeah, I mean it's it's just it's so genius. Like yeah. they they've got less than twenty five minutes, and I think they've done stories better than most TV shows I've seen done in forty five minutes. And so, you know, I'm always really amazed at what they do on Lower Decks. And that episode, you know, I I was cracking up the entire time, <laughs> and just the just the 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 movie title sequence with like yeah. <laughs> credits swinging by and hitting Boimler on the head. Oh, it's so good! <laughs> it, was, it was so beautiful, and and just like it's so much fun to like you know it's made with love and it's made with people who know the tropes of Star Trek movies and are having fun with it and just kind of goofing about, but they also managed to tell this really great story. So. I mean that that episode is probably one of my favorite, although not my complete favorite, but amazing. I'm excited that you're going to have something else to talk about. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, let's go to round four and Captain Pikachu. What's your pick? <laughs> my uh, round four pick is how to ruin a party. Hashtag legal drama, and it's the lower decks. Episode number eight, Veritas. Veritas. <laughs> <laughs> How to ruin a party is perfect. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my absolute favorite Lower Decks episode. And not just because as a uh, law graduate, I'm a sucker for anything that's legal drama, but just, just the way they tell that story in those little vignettes <laughs> and everybody's sort of being like, 
well, we don't know what's going on on the ship any more than you do. And they're all just trying to piece together what's happening. And then just also Tendi putting like sensors over the most mundane and pointless things where she's just like, you know, like she's not censoring really anything. And I just like the visual gags of it. It's just, it's so funny. And then all of it for it to just be like, well, this is my party. And no, you've ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) Just, it's so hilarious. But it also is like, it just shows one of the strengths of Lower Decks as a show to be funny and clever and inventive and to sort of twist and subvert things within Star Trek tropes. And it's just so much fun. And it it contributes to that variety that I was talking about with this era of Star Trek. It's just like, it's so unique. And and I just love Tindy. Tindy, when oh. he's like, you, you, you are so stubborn as to risk death by yield. And she's like, yes, that's correct. And I was like, that is me. <laughs> that is me. If I, was, if I was ever a Star Trek character, she is just me. <laughs> wow. Captain's chair. Oh, I'm gonna make you extra clean. Huh? Secure the room, Lieutenant Tuck. Yes, sir. Okay, stop. You can't omit details like that. Yeah, but I already did, so... Are you so stubborn that you're willing to risk death by eels? Yes, that's correct. Then continue. I love when the operatives say, she's playing some real f***ing mind games. <laughs> <laughs> punching people randomly because so like, okay well i guess i'm here <laughs> so good today didn't have to end in eels um veritas <laughs> is amazing it's uh it just plays with one of the best star trek tropes the uh, the courtroom showdown and again 25 minutes they cram so much in here with Tendi's story and Rutherford bouncing around. He's stealing a Robin and Warbird. I mean, and his, he said, Gord wedding, Gord wedding. I mean, there is so much happening. It's incredible. Beverly, what's your take on Veritas? Oh, man. Um, again, with the lower decks, everything is fast paced. And I can just imagine. Um, a Star Trek convention with everybody in cosplay <laughs> because oh, you know you're you got the Gorn and you've got the Romulans and um, then Q pops in and it's just crazy. You, you got Spock, uh, Voyage Home Spock. Q, yeah. that's right, Q pops in. The end. <laughs> oh man, there is so much happening in this episode. Spectacular. Okay, Beverly, what's your number four pick? Okay. Um, Number four, my five words are wild girls of the woods and hashtag bunny corn pizza and cake. So um, I went to Nepenthe from Picard, episode seven. Yes. Originally, because we were talking about Kurtzman, I was thinking, I just you know, Frakes has his fingerprints all over this. So good. And, yeah. and yet Kestra, Kestra is what every up and coming Star Trek fan is. She's 
the daughter of somebody that's been with the greatest captain and she knows all the history and she knows all the new technology. She comes in and over dinner, she contacts her friend uh, um, to find out where, yeah, Captain Crandall. Right. To find out where the home world is for the synths. She's learned 12 languages that her brother created so she could give the universal translator a run for its money. I, I just love everything about Nepenthe. It's uh, perfect. It's so perfect. Let me give you my five words and a hashtag for my number four pick. You could have each other. Hashtag Kestra Troy Riker. I can barely say that without breaking into tears. Uh, Nepenthe is also my number four pick. <laughs> this is an easy choice for me, not just because it's the best episode of Picard for me, but honestly, it's one of the best episodes in Star Trek I've ever seen. I will take that to the grave. It's, I mean, it's like best of both worlds, City on the Edge of Forever Good. It's brilliantly written and directed and acted. I, Kestra's deconstruction of data is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in Star Trek. He could do all these amazing things, but in the end, he just wanted to play the violin and learn the ballroom dance. And I am getting yes. emotional. I mean, that just is such an amazing statement about what we've seen through seven seasons and four films of data i love it so much you know a lot about data my parents served with him in starfleet until he died a long time ago on a ship called the enterprise picard was the captain my dad said he was the greatest starfleet captain ever it seems weird to make an android with mucus and saliva but i guess data would do it like that I don't see how Data could be my father. I mean, if I was made, it was probably about three years ago. Wait, why would Data want to make an android with mucus and saliva? Well, he was always trying to be more human. He could do all these, these amazing things, but all he ever really wanted to do was, like, have dreams and tell jokes and, like, learn how to ballroom dance there's also the deconstruction of the of the word home and they play with the language of star trek in ways that uh, michael shabon wrote this and it's just amazingly the home worlds and what's real and what's not with the juxtaposition of soji coming to grips with the fact that she's an android and doesn't think she has a home world but she does and it's just incredible. All of it <laughs> buoyed by the fact that we get to see Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis just fully inhabiting their characters again after 20 years. And they just feel completely fully lived in. Um, and they're happy. They're on this blissful planet, but they're also struggling with their own loss and what it means for them and their daughter. It's just, it's incredible. It's just a perfect perfect moment in star trek from michael shabon i love it so captain bikes what's your take on uh, nepenthe i mean nepenthe is in my secondary systems i it, it hurt me to leave it out of the top five choice nope. but it's it's so beautiful it's such a great episode i, I remember when i reviewed it i i said this was like an acting tour de force for marina Sirtis. Because she's finally 
getting to be the Troy that I've always wanted her to be in TNG because I always felt like, you know, there, there was just some, some of the stuff that she wasn't really given the moments that she deserved. And one of the things I loved about the new era of Star Trek is some of the older characters, particularly the female characters, get to have these moments where they feel realized and actualized and not just, you know, a, a plot device or here to serve a particular purpose, but like they feel, as you said, lived in and they feel real. And you saw the full range of what Deanna Troy could be. She's a mother, a, a wife, a friend, a counselor. And in, it was just like in one episode, I felt like there was so much more to her than perhaps many seasons of previous Trek. That's a good point. And and I remember because I was talking to a friend of mine about watching this episode, and she was not very much particularly a Troy fan. And she saw this episode and was like, where was this character? Like, you know, <laughs> where has she been all this time? I would have loved her if this is, you know, what this character had been. And, and so it was, it was one of those beautiful things of like going back to see uh, Troy and Riker, but see them in this new way and being this family and having this story, they served a purpose to the story first. It, it was just really cool to see those characters back. And clearly that relationship with uh, Patrick Stewart and Picard is so genuine Mm -hmm. That like it, it felt like we all needed that sort of big hug <laughs> yes. after all the episodes yes. that we've been through and all the trauma that was happening. And then it's just and also just Kestra is such a great character. Mm. And Lulu Wilson was just absolutely spectacular. Like she's this cute little quirky kid, but also, Kestra basically saved everyone. Like, Kestra saved this entire season when she figured out, oh, well, here's where the whole planet is, you know. Exactly. We, we, we could have totally just lost everything if it wasn't for Kestra. So. <laughs> <laughs> Kestra saves the universe. And also, uh, the character of Thad, having, uh, having read the Dark Veil uh, book uh, by Jane Swallow, it's... It's just like the story of Thad is also woven into the story of Picard. And it's just, it's both sad. And yet you can see like, you know, Star Trek parenting sometimes is not often very positive. And so it was really great to also just see Riker and Troy being really amazing parents. Yeah. And that Kestra turned out to be a happy kid, despite the fact that she obviously had tragedy with her brother. And also just the the brilliance of making Thad also feel like a character, even though he wasn't even there and we have never met him. Yeah, they did a great job with that, too. And yeah. you said it well that this is the best Troy episode. I mean, it's just it's not yeah. be, be, <laughs> yeah. tough to, be tough to argue against that. And of course, Kestra is just uh, incredible, uh, amazing. And we uh beverly had it in her in her hashtag and we had Riker the pizza chef so we literally <laughs> literally had it all i love it yeah this, this this episode to me was just like an oasis in a desert oh so true or a bunker <laughs> yes. in a war zone because yep. and it was basically designed that way michael shavon's talked about it that way and they yeah. just an absolute home run 
Uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, we all got a Riker hug, basically. Yes. Exactly. Oh, man. I love when he just says, oh, man, when he hugs him. It's <laughs> so Frank, so Riker. It's the best. Okay, let's go to the soup round. Captain Pike 2, what's your number three pick? Eat your soup, courtesy of a loyal establishment, Jolan Troop. Well, my number three pick is a bit of a cheat. Um, we love I, cheating, as long as it results in more Star Trek. So. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, this will be a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> and it's uh, my five word in a hashtag is all life is an experiment. Hashtag short and sweet. And it's both seasons of Star Trek short tricks. You're brilliant. Because- You're brilliant. That's basically one episode. You're brilliant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know what represents more of the variety of this era of Star Trek than the short tricks because they're all so different and they're all with their own unique take on the franchise. And, you know, there's the little stories that add a little bit to characters in current shows. And then there's little stories that maybe introduce new characters into shows and, you know, explore a standalone story or set up something for the future or do something completely experimental and different. And there's just, you know, there's like no limit to what can be done. And there's, I hope they make more short tracks. I do too. I do too. It's just, it's so fun. And also just, it's such a great way for them to bring in like up and coming new talents. You know, one of the things that I always admired in earlier, uh, you know, in the nineties eras of Trek was, you know, when they brought in young new writers and they sort of built up this generation of, you know, sci-fi writers to go on to accomplish great things. And here we have an opportunity with, you know, young new directors, young new writers, young new, you know, whatever production. Composers. Yeah. Composers. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's so amazing to see these people go through the short tracks and then some of them go off to do actual episodes or, you know, do movies. And, and the thing that I wanted to highlight within the short tracks is Calypso and Ephraim and Dot, which are just two of my favorite. Like Calypso is just such a beautiful story, you know, and it's like it's a Greek myth, but in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's done in such a brilliant way that not only teases sort of the future where discovery might go, but just the world that it's inhabiting. And Annabelle Wallace with her voice is Mm -hmm. able to create such a amazingly relatable and beautiful character without even having to see her face at all. And like, that's so amazing to me. And then with Ephraim and Dot, just Michael Giacchino can do no wrong for me. Like the music is great. The direction is great. And like to be able to use music to tell the story, you know, music is like our common language. You know, we all understand music. In, a, in the very similar way. And so to use the musical language and to tell that story of this, you know, cute little tardigrade and this little dot and their personalities and their little journey. And it's just, it's so cool.
And like, this is what I love about Star Trek, being bold and experimental and exploring new things that this franchise has never done. And I think, you know, there's nothing that represents it better than the short tracks. I love this pick. It's so smart to just pick them all. Um, I think the short tracks, you said it so well, that how experimental they are and how they open the door for so many other creators. I think when we look back on them, people are just going to, they're really, really going to just keep gaining in stature. They really are so clever at how broad the stories they've, they've told are. And yeah. um, I mean, Calypso, everyone knows how much I love that. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, like, even like Run um, Runaway, which I remember when it first came, I was like, okay, I, I liked it. It was okay. Um, I did, you know, it was hard to first time. There's like a 12 minute episode of Star Trek. So you're <laughs> trying to figure it out. And now I look back on it and I love it so much because yeah. of uh, Poe and the way they integrated her in the discovery and they're all just amazing. I love them. Uh, Beverly, what's your take on the short trips? Oh, I think Captain Pikachu just hit it out of the park with this yeah. one because especially when you talk about how they're raising up new talent and Michael Piller was uh, alumnus of my university, yeah. UNC, and uh, he was one of the ones that really encourage new submissions to the franchise. And I think that made it stronger. Yeah, that's right. He yeah, is definitely a well-known Tar Heel and <laughs> a legend of Trek as well. Fantastic. I love that. Love that cheating. That was superb. <laughs> All right, Beverly, what's your uh, super round pick? Okay. Five words, time loops and a perfect villain. Hashtag Gormagander. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking Discovery Episode 7, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Oh, First, good. I, I love Harry Mudd. He is just a genius. Rain Wilson did a genius <laughs> job depicting him. And uh, it goes back to TOS because we had uh, uh, Mudd's Women and then we had iMud. And I think that was the only time... Uh, actor portrayed the same character in the original series you know oh, that right, was a, yeah. a guest a guest yep and uh it harkens back to tng's cause and effect because you're going over and over destroying things and we get to meet the gormagander who shows up in the finale when uh tilly's eating this unknown oh no <laughs> no don't remind me <laughs> And then uh, shows back up in season three, that hope is you part two, yep. and uh, and uh, Nepenthe even uh, showed up. So I just could watch that over and over, just like the <laughs> destruction is over and over. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and they did such a and again. This is another one of those episodes of New Trek that takes an old Star Trek trope and just knocks it out of the park. I mean, this time travel episode is brilliant the time loop uh rain wilson is harry mudd is just so good there's so much to love about this episode and it still takes the time to have these uh really cool moments with uh with burnham and growing her character i i love this episode it was a really really tough cut for me at yeah. the end it's definitely top five for me in discovery so captain pikachu what's your take on magic to make the sanest man go mad 
I, I think it's definitely one of uh, Discovery Season 1's best episodes. Just like, it, it's it's both fun, but it also utilizes uh, what discover what is very distinctly unique to Discovery. And it's using, you know, Stamets as sort of the focal point of trying to like go between all the different time loops to like figure out what's going on. And it not only advanced his character, but also Burnham's character and her relationship with Tyler. And, you know, I love, I love Discovery's version of Harry Mudd. And, and it's not that I don't love TOS's version of Harry Mudd too, but like this one just has like, he's got such an edge to him, you know, this mm-hmm. like dangerousness that I don't think was present before. Whereas like the character before was always very fun and quirky and always certainly willing to, you know, play a little bit to the dark side. But like this mud was just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to fall on ready to like, you know, go murder some people <laughs> if I feel like it. But like, I love, I just love this portrayal and I love this edge to this character and his like complete disdain of Lorca. <laughs> He's really oh, like, Gus. He's got like 50 <laughs> different ways to kill you, and I'm still not bored, you know? <laughs> What's happening? You, you've been cheating. Passing notes in class to save your friends. Well, whatever you think you've come up with, I'll find a workaround. I'll keep resetting time until I do. Nobody beats mud. It's one of those early episodes that made me realize that it's something that Discovery does best when it's firing on all cylinders is finding an old trope but then giving it a distinctly discovery twist that's both episodic but also has larger consequences to the whole narrative and so it's just it's the best of both worlds i think yeah, yeah, yeah. this is exhibit a for that it's incredible so it came at such a great point in the season where all of a sudden say, oh, this is the standalone episode that's really cleverly done inside this yeah. long story arc. So, so well done. I love it. All right. We finally got a Discovery episode in the <laughs> middle in the middle of the soup round. Now let's go to my uh, round three pick. And sorry to everybody. This is the third time in like 10 episodes and the fourth time in 15 episodes that I've chosen this episode. But there's no way I could not include it when we had this uh Topic come up. It's this brilliant piece of the Kelvin timeline. Five words and a hashtag. Kelvin culmination separates, then unites. Hashtag journey of the crew reveals Trek's core. It is Star Trek Beyond. And this is one of my favorite Star Treks of all time. It's my third favorite film. I can't tell you how much joy I get watching this movie, thinking about this movie. I love it so much. It just it accomplishes so much from the to Franklin to Jayla to Bones and Spock together, Beastie Boys, Yorktown, Kirk's evolution, the Michael Giacchino score. It's just so satisfying for me on every level. It's an incredible deep dive into Trek lore that I think a lot of people miss. It's It came out the 50, 50 year anniversary and there's a ton of stuff going on here that just feels like really respectful of, of TOS and old school, tr- old school Trek while also being a huge fun summer blockbuster movie that of course it has to be, but the Spock and McCoy scenes together, Kirk mentoring Chekhov is something we've seen in 
TOS more than a few times. Uh, I love Kroll as a villain, uh, being an old Starfleet captain gone bad. Again, something we saw a bunch in TOS. And of course, the culmination at the end, this beautiful integration of Spock and honoring Leonard Nimoy in a way that you just never thought you would ever get to experience to Leonard Nimoy, who literally was a part of Star Trek from the very beginning up until this film coming out right after his death for them to honor him in that way. And the entire TOS crew with that image, just brilliant. Simon Pegg and Doug Jung, the the writers. I just love this movie. Uh, Beverly, what's your take on Star Trek Beyond? Well, Star Trek Beyond is a great movie. It makes me cry every single time because of Leonard and Anton. Yep. And, um, would love to see more of Jayla. Oh, please let's get that uh, <laughs> let's get that Jayla film in into the works because I would love to see her come back. Uh, yeah. Captain Pikachu, how about you on Star Trek Beyond? Well, Star Trek Beyond is my favorite Star Trek movie of all time, hands love down. It. Very easy, and it also hurt my soul to not put it in this list. Ooh, but wow. it's in my secondary systems. Um, but I love this movie. Like I love everything about this movie. I love the way that it honors Enterprise's history. Oh yes, I didn't even mention. At that. the time, it, it has just—it's never been done sort of on that scale because you know, as me growing up, you know, Enterprise was sort of always you know the redheaded stepchild of the family yep. that nobody yep. really wanted to talk about, and so to have the movies not only acknowledge it, but then to take that history and that story and make it such a main part of this tale and weave it into uh, Balthazar Edison's story as Crawl and what happens. And it's such a, it's such an amazing story about, you know, recovering from trauma and how to let go of the past and learn from your past to not make those same mistakes. And there's something just really amazing about when Edison in that final fight with Kirk saying, you know, like war is what he was born into. And then, you know, Kirk saying, you know, saving lives is what he was born into. And it's so interesting to see two characters that are both effectively born out of traumatic experiences, whereas, you know, Edison having to fought in the Earth and Romulan Wars. And then Kirk being born out of that tragedy of the Kelvin and his father dying. But then, you know, the younger generation of being able to let go of the hurt and the trauma of the past to make the world something better. And I think that's really what Star Trek is all about. You know, the the, the idea that we can do better, that we can learn from the mistakes that we made before to not do violence and to make it about saving people and not about, you know, revenge or, you know, anger and grief. And so it's one of those things where like, I feel like beyond is the greatest (laughs) representative of the Star Trek ideology. You know, the, the, the lines that Kirk spouses at the end to Edison is just, it's, a culmination of what Star Trek has always been about, you know, growing from our mistakes and learning from them, not ignoring what our mistakes were, but looking at them and confronting it and saying, okay, this is where we went wrong, but now we can do better. Uh, you guys, stop it. 
You will die. Better to die saving lives than to live with taking them. That's what I was born into. And also, it's just really fun. Like, it's a fun movie. <laughs> that I, I, feel, I feel like it captures that, you know, completely chaotic energy that the original series has. Of yeah. like, you know, everybody just sort of running around, you know, dealing with all these crazy things and, you know, having fun. And it feels like a space Western adventure. Like, it really does. And I feel like, you know, it's the most TOS sort of, you know, modern movie that there could ever be. And I think if Rottenberry was still alive, that's probably what he would have made that film to be like, too. Yeah. A perfect summation. It has all those deep elements and then it's still just fun. I love it. Okay. Let's go to round two and Captain Pikachu. I'm, I'm dying to hear what your Calvin timeline pick is going to be now based on your... Uh, <laughs> Based on your prime directive. So what do you got for round two? Well, for round two, it's also a bit of a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just cheating all over the place right now. <laughs> and uh, my five words and a hashtag is something old and something borrowed. Hashtag the Pike Trilogy. And it is Discovery Season two's Episode 1, Episode 8, and Episode 12, Brother, If Memory Serves, and Through the Valley of Shadows. Oh, that's really good, though. I love it. Because when I think about the fact that we have these episodes serving us up, the, the cage and the menagerie, it's just in incredible. So I love it. Go. I, I just think, you know, this is also another strength that I think uh, Discovery displays and, and what this new era of Star Trek displays incredibly well is taking something from the old era and then making it completely distinctly their own while also keeping elements of that old era but modernizing it and then giving it new life mm -hmm. and what they did is it immediately even just like from Brother you know we're the beginning of this so-called trilogy um, and and Pike just comes in and just immediately there is an effect. You know, immediately you realize this character whom, you know, we've only really known very sporadically and very little throughout the entire Trek history. And so suddenly he's there, he's amazing, and it, it's just such a great character reintroduction. And then you go to If Memory Serves and that brilliant previously on recap right. with you know using footage from the cage and the menagerie and it's just it's so brilliantly like reintroduces and rebrings that aspect back into the canon and then allowing the character to grow and allowing the mythology to grow and deepening that story with that character so that you know, what happens in the future has meaning, what his relationship with Vina is like, which, you know, the, <laughs> the original series didn't always particularly portray it as well as I think, you know, it, it was kind of up its time. But the way that they were able to do it now, giving it, giving them that depth and that connection where you feel like, yeah, of course he wanted to go back to Vina. You know, he would be okay with being with her to go back to her. Mm. And then 
leading that into through the valley of shadows where his story you reach this sort of high point culmination where you realize that you know everything that's going to happen in this future is not just some random accident that happened to him but rather something that he chose for the sake of the universe yeah and it, it makes that accident turning into something that gives him agency in his own story in in choosing his destiny and at the same time really just making him the most legendary captain there probably is now in the minds of many people and i just think you know, it, it's amazing the story that they told with him through specifically those episodes, but just through that entire season where you understand now why Christopher Pike matters, why yeah. he's such an iconic and legendary figure. And why is it that Starfleet's Medal of Honor is named after him? <laughs> so, you know, so true. I... It's it's just so amazing. Beverly, as an old school Trekkie, I'm dying to hear how you felt when you saw this when they showed this moment from the cage and all the stuff that leads up to what we've known and lived with for 50 years what was your take oh um well first they just did an outstanding job at the whole thing but what i love about what captain pikachu said was the old era and new life you know the character yeah. reintroductions is such a glorious homage to what we've been um living with for 55 years and counting now and that's why we want to uh really encourage people to become fans and uh follow the new series because we're trying to reflect the best of humanity yeah yeah i i i literally fell out of my chair when it, it wasn't so much seeing it was the realization that i was about to see this moment of you know, how it happened and, and why it happened. And the like you said, the agency that it brings to Pike in terms of him making the choice to do it and live with it. It just, I was, I was bawling like instant tears when I realized what, <laughs> what, what they were about to show me. It was so well done. Yeah. So superb. And just Anson Mount's performance oh, in, in that episode and just throughout the entire <laughs> season, like, I, I think like somebody must have told him to just like dial his charisma meter up to like a thousand or something. <laughs> like he he just had so much charisma that like I I couldn't possibly like I wouldn't be able to comprehend why anyone wouldn't just like instantly fall in love with him. Like yeah, I, just, it was so amazing. And the direction on the uh, you know the scene with the the radiation accident. I'm pretty sure the director is Doug Arianowski, and he just yeah. crushed it. Just so yeah. looks so good. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was it was brilliant. Um, I actually predicted that moment was going to come. Oh yeah, I had no idea. I was floored. I had no idea. I wasn't. I, the, I, I predicted it back in like January. It's so so cool to think that uh, you're about to get a whole lot more of him. All right, Beverly, what is your round two pick? Okay, my five words are service, sacrifice, compassion, and love. Hashtag Pike accepts the chair. And it's Discovery Season 2, Episode 12, Through the Valley of Shadows. <laughs> we were just talking about it. Now I got goosebumps again. Yeah, and I, you, 
that you, you statement. Fire the phasers. <laughs> Almost forgot. Yeah. Um, there's so many things in this, but um, just seeing Pike step up to accept his fate and take the time crystal, that is Starfleet. Yeah. And his, his read your hashtag again or your uh, five words again. Service, sacrifice, compassion, and love. You're Starfleet's captain. You believe in service, sacrifice, compassion, and love? No. I'm not going to abandon the things that make me who I am. Because of the future, it contains an ending I hadn't foreseen for myself. No, give it to me. So good. It was so incredibly, incredibly well done. I love it. This was definitely on my uh, short list uh, and it's on my secondary systems too. So yeah. I wanted, I wanted to mention too about the fact that Ken Mitchell playing Tenovic. Oh yes. You know, the fact that in real life he has ALS and yep. uh, Pike is in the wheelchair and he's in the wheelchair and he played Aurelio in season three and, um, you know, he, he's so beloved that I, I'm always happy to see when he's uh, actually on camera. Likewise, what a profound uh, artist and performer he is. And uh, just an amazing, uh, amazing human being who we featured last week in our top five one-off Klingons as, as, right. one, of my, as one of my picks. Sorry, that's a spoiler for you guys. So. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's close out round two. And anyone who has listened to a lot of Trek ranks or follows me online for any amount of time will know that uh, my pick here for the number two Kurtzman era episode has long been my number one episode of Star Trek Discovery. So we're going to talk about it again. It's by five words and a hashtag. De facto pilot creates massive intrigue. Hashtag Trek truly relaunched. It is Discovery Season 1, Episode 3, Context is for Kings, oh. and I love this episode. <laughs> There's just the way it introduces the series, you know, basically coming off what is a, a two-hour prequel movie that obviously introduces the series, but but when you watch that two-hour, you know, I mean, I, was, I love uh, the Vulcan Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars. But when I saw Context is for Kings and kind of realized now what they had done with those two and that this was really the, the de facto pilot, it's just amazing to me what it sets up with all the cool mysteries and the spore jumping and Stamets and Lorca and Burnham's backstories and Black Alerts. I uh, I love it. I love the, the Burnham and Amanda connection. I got really emotional when they talked about um, Alice in Wonderland. And it's just really, really incredibly well done. 
across the board. And that Lorca speech that context is for Kings is just a, a genius, genius early moment for kind of setting the tone for what Discovery is uh, was going to become across three seasons. I did choose you, but not for the reasons you think. Your assumption that the Klingons were waiting in ambush at the binary stars was predictive. Chose to do the right thing over and above what was sanctioned, even a great cost to yourself. And that is the kind of thinking that wins wars. The kind of thinking I need next to me. Universal laws for lackeys. Context is for kings. Uh, Captain Pikachu, what's your take on context is for kings? Oh, that's definitely one of my favorite episodes of Discovery. It's, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant, you know, it, and, and it, again, features a quality that I think <laughs> is very Discovery, and it's just, it's very bold. It's bold to do a two-hour prequel and then do your pilot. You right. <laughs> Incredible. It's so It's just so bold and unique, and... And it speaks to a certain level of confidence and saying, you know what? Yeah, this is the format we're going to go with. This is what we're going to try. You know, people might like it. People might not like it. But, you know, this is the story that we want to tell. And we're going to tell it our way. And that's very much been how Discovery operates. You know, the, the and it's also very much how the, the show, the, the characters within that universe operates. You know, they, they kind of boldly go their own way you know not afraid right. to speak up and, and and it's just it's really amazing to see a story that was set out in one way that you thought was going to be one thing and then suddenly it turns the dial a little and now it's something else and and then you you've got a new ship a new crew a new people and a whole sort of new universe opens up and obviously jason isaacs is amazing as Lorca. Yeah. And so it's just, it's so cool. I love the way that they just went from one tone and then to something else completely new. I loved it. Yeah, brilliant. Beverly, how about you? Anytime I pull out Discovery for a season, that is the episode I put into the <laughs> player. I love to watch it. And um, I completely bought the Lorca storyline. I was right. really happy with uh, how with Discovery, they reintroduced this whole timeline and it was just a creative, exciting, and ambitious. I, I love that episode. Did you like the Mirror Universe stuff? Yes, because yeah. Mirror Mirror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew you did. I knew you would. And just like me, it's like, oh man, we're going to really get into this. It's not Star Trek if you do not have an alternative <laughs> universe. <laughs> Uh, I love it. That's so good. All right, let's go to round one. I can't wait to hear what your guys' number one picks are. Uh, Captain Pikachu, what do you got? Well, my five words and a hashtag is we rise from the ashes. Hashtag not your grandparents' Star Trek. And it's Star Trek 2009. Oh, beautiful. I should have I should have saw it coming. I, I did not. I love it. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Rise from the Ashes. It's so, so brilliant. The first the first piece of Kurtzman era track. So why'd you pick it? Well, I mean, when when you asked me about like, oh, you know, all the, the Kurtzman era stuff, and I, I just thought this has to be at the top. Like it doesn't matter whether it's my favorite or not. It has to be at the top <laughs> because 
this is where it all begins. Yeah. You know, if there was no Star Trek 2009, if it wasn't as good as it was and fresh as it was and exciting as it was, I don't think we have this new era of Star Trek. We wouldn't have the new shows or the future movies. You know, this one film had a lot on its shoulders and it managed to do it so brilliantly. It recasted characters that nobody thought you could redo. And it brought in a new generation of Star Trek fans who, you know, younger generations who probably never seen Star Trek now suddenly were fans because of this movie. And it's just, it's one of those things where like, if we didn't have this, we don't have the rest of it. Like if it wasn't successful, we wouldn't have all the things that we have now to be excited for. And it's just, it's such a brilliant film such a perfect blockbuster but it's also setting up a new world and a new universe and just the concept of it is so genius you know like people don't want it to be you know rewriting prime timeline okay so we just branch off into a different timeline (laughs) and we're gonna do whatever we want and and it was just opening up such new possibilities of retelling that story but in a new way for a new generation and the casting for that movie is just oh, it's just perfection. it's absolutely brilliant and the way that they gave more to certain characters more personality more character depth you know i love what they did with uhura and having her take a more active role within the story it's just it's so exciting like i remember the, that first trailer when it first dropped I remember I was crying <laughs> because it felt like, you know, this, this was Star Trek finally coming back from the dead, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw the movie, just like that opening 15 minute sequence is probably the best opening of Star Trek period and possibly the best opening of any movie that I've seen. What is it? It's a boy. A boy? Tell me about him. He's beautiful. George, you should be here. Impact alert. What are we going to call him? We can name him after your father. Tiberius? You kidding me? No, that's the worst. Let's name him after your dad. Let's call him Jim. The acting from Chris Hemsworth and uh, Jennifer Morrison is beautiful. And like all that in a short amount of minutes that made you care about two characters that didn't even appear in the original series, really. <laughs> like it was barely a mention. And suddenly you had this deep connection to the roots of where James T. Kirk comes from. And it's just like, the way that they reimagine that universe, like the concept is just so clever. I love it. It's brilliant. And we wouldn't have the rest of Star Trek without it. So, you know, Perfect. I'll Alex Kurtzman for, you know, saving Star Trek twice <laughs> in the last decade alone. <laughs> I love it. It's a perfect pick. I love your reason for putting it at number one. Basically what it did 
is impossible. It just it for all the things that it accomplished to relaunch Trek in a really, really fallow period is is a miracle. It's it is uh, a glorious, glorious piece of Star Trek. I love that you picked it. Beverly, what's your take on Star Trek 2009? I think that's a great pick. I think of how these were cadets at the Academy and they were thrown into real life and they came together and everybody used their individual talents to succeed. And that was just a tremendous, tremendous movie. I mean, they get all their showcase moments from Sulu and his sword play to, and one of my favorite things is when, they revealed Spock and Yahura were together. And I just remember people, I remember people going crazy about that. And I'm like, did you watch TOS? This spoke to me. I was like, oh my God, Spock and Yahura are finally together. Like they, like they should have been in TOS. It's so, so And also great. we get, we, we, we get, you know, the new version of Pike. You know, I don't think if we had, oh, if we didn't have yeah. this Pike, we probably no. wouldn't have Anson Mount's Pike either. Yep. Another, another great Pike. Bye. Okay. Captain, we're being hailed. Hello. I'm Captain Christopher Pike. To whom am I speaking? Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. I love it. All right, Beverly, how about you? What's your number one pick? Okay, five words. Dare you to do better. Hashtag Kobayashi Maru. (laughs) (laughs) I think Star Trek 2009, the Kelvin timeline. Oh, fantastic. I love the origin story of Kirk mm-hmm. and how he and Spock had to learn to work together. I'm glad they discarded that birth of Spock storyline that they originally filmed. Yeah. And just threw it out and said, we're going to start with Kirk on the Kelvin and yeah. his father uh, saving their lives and the wound that he carried from that point on where he asked um, Prom Spock, did I know my father in your timeline? He said, yes, he was very proud of you. And oh, that so really good. said it all. And um, when they actually showed the Kobayashi Maru test, that was something I guess I wanted to see all my life and didn't realize I needed to see it. <laughs> it was his third try. And in the Wrath of Khan, where they start out the movie and Kirk is feeling his age and facing his mortality. And then in Star Trek 2009, we see this outside of the box thinking of the young, ambitious James T. Kirk. And it just put new life into the whole franchise. I love the way you sum that up. It's And, you're, and what Beverly was talking about there was they filmed not only Kirk's birth, but Spock's birth. And they originally were going to open the movie on Vulcan with Spock's birth. And Yeah. Luckily, <laughs> luckily they open with Kirk. <laughs> yeah. The magic of movie making, they realized, no, let's open with the best 10 minutes in the history of Star Trek. basically. <laughs> Cause, cause so there is one thing I wish they had kept. Uh, one of the deleted scenes had a young Kirk with his brother, Sam. Yeah. And, I know what you're talking about. I wish they kept that in the movie because I think it explains so much of why Kirk is the way he is that we see him as a young man. 
And it's one of those like pivotal things where I wish I'm like, oh, could you just sneak that back in? Because that was a great <laughs> little moment. And poor Sam Kirk has just always gotten the shaft. <laughs> yeah, he really has. <laughs> Even as uh, William Shatner with a yeah, with, with a, a mustache. mustache. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fantastic. I love yeah, you I'm- guys both pick that. Sorry, Beverly, go. I was just going to say um, my favorite quote. I don't believe in no win scenarios. Oh, so good. Ah, so good. And the apple. I mean, just uh, it really, really. <laughs> I was just eating that apple. So good. So good. Okay. So with my number one pick, it's a little bit of a surprise. We just did my number two pick, which has long been my favorite discovery episode. It's always been number one for me. So logically, that means I could only have a Picard or Short Tracks or Lower Decks episode at number one ahead of it. Or it could mean that after three years, I think my number one episode of Discovery has finally changed. It has. As as I've grown and looked at these episodes, I just realized this is now my all-time favorite. So it's... uh, it's Star Trek Discovery, and it's moved one spot ahead of Context is for Kings. Five words and a hashtag, Trek to its purest core, hashtag, Do You Fly Among the Stars? And it is Discovery Season 2, Episode 2, New Eden. And oh, for, me, okay. it's what, it's, for me, it's just one of the most beautiful episodes of Trek. I love it so much. Every second of it has this vibrancy, and it's got this exciting, cohesive, contained story with uh, Burnham, Tilly, Saru, Pike, all literally at their best. I, I recommend a, a rewatch of this one if you, if you haven't seen it recently. It's all, all everything you see in these characters in this episode, now with, with three seasons of uh, Discovery in the books, it just fits so perfectly into their stories and helps define their characters. And you can see what they've become in this episode. Uh, the Burnham and Pike debate about what to do with the survivors on Terra Elysium, Burnham challenging the colony leader to explore some scientific explanations for the first save that were brought to New Eden and, and Pike, you know, just him being really resistant to telling the people there what happened. I just love this story. He jumps on the phaser and and he's told Burnham, you can't tell them what happened. So she kind of concocts, she plays along and gets him into the church and they beam up so they can save him. But the the moment for me that just does it all is this uh the this beautiful role that Jacob serves as the true believer in science over fate, who in the end he's just happy to have the knowledge that that Pike confirms that yeah, we you guys, you know, came here via technology. Earth is fine. It's still ongoing, just like you you thought. And it's a really beautiful scene at the end when Pike reveals to, to Jacob that he was right about Earth. So Discovery, saving Terralisium. I just love it. Saru in command. I love the stuff with Detmer. When you'll be doing a donut inside of an asteroid field. I mean, Tilly, it's just everything about this episode is amazing. Oh, and there's a moment where Saru, when I did my rewatch, he says to Tilly, you are important. And it's just so, it just plays so much different now after seeing the way Saru uh, helps Tilly in season three. It's, it's a really, really fantastic episode. I love New Eden. Before we can care for others, we must care for ourselves. 
Has this jeopardized my placement in the command training program? It has not. As long as it is not an indicator of more reckless behavior. You are the youngest candidate ever accepted into the CTP. Being the only Kelpian in Starfleet, I know how it feels to want to prove your worth. I was so determined to be a good example of my race. I learned 90 different Federation languages. Really? My point is, I put an inordinate amount of responsibility on these slender shoulders, often to my detriment. I expect you to take better care. You are important. That's also one of my favorite episodes. And it's another one of those episodes where, you know, much like uh, magic to make the Satanist man go mad, it takes that episodic, you know, trope of Star Trek, but then also builds upon the characters and the larger narrative of the story. And it's pure Star Trek, but then also very pure discovery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's so brilliant. And I love the way, one of my favorite scenes from that episode is uh, Michael talking to Pike and then realizing that um, essentially that, you know, she has to grow in the sense that, you know, she can't just go around disobeying orders. And I think that was one of the things where, you know, in season one was she disobeyed that huge order. And then there was that war and everything that went wrong. And she was always trying to, you know, get back to herself and be that Starfleet officer again. And then with Pike, she's sort of tested in this moment and she holds her ground and her beliefs and listens to the orders that she's given. And it just shows so much growth that she's had when she's able to, you know, say and realize, you know, yeah, I, I've made that mistake before. I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. And such a beautiful moment to see her grow. But then also that relationship that she has with Pike, the back and forth that they have and the trust that they have in each other is also just really beautiful throughout that season. But like in that episode, it's like where you really see that they're different, but they also respect each other, which is, you know, something that was different from, you know, her relationship with Lorca in season one. And so it's, really cool and then just all the other stuff like the the stuff with jacob which is just really sweet i always want i hope to see jacob again at some point because he's just such an awesome character so there's a moment in the end when he says i hope i see you again and yeah when they like hold hands and and pike says and and basically pike says i I think we will i immediately (laughs) immediately went to strange new world oh yeah, yeah, I I hope so. I hope happen. that they find some way to get to Terralysium. I don't care if it's a wormhole, <laughs> yes. randomly end up there, yep. whatever. I, I, I love want it. To. I love it. Beverly, what's your take on New Eden? Oh, wow. Um, well, especially with New Eden, I imagine this group of people taken without a ship or without warp capability yeah. into a future that's far away and always wondering what happened to earth. And, um, you know, with all the talk nowadays of, uh, do we have information about alien visits? (laughs) (laughs) It just makes you wonder. It recalls back to Voyager, the 39s, when they. Oh um, yeah. The 37s. Yeah. 
the 37s when they uh, saw Amelia Earhart and all the other people that were transported across the galaxy. And um, it just reminds me of so many things. And then how they merged their religions to live together peacefully. And that that was important, too. I I love that connection to the 37s. Uh, And, yeah, it was really cool the way they all kind of combine their theologies even uh and they even gave a shout out to wicca so uh oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah they... but uh, now i'm now i'm watching to see the development because owo was raised in a Luddak community yeah and then kayla was such a precocious uh pilot <laughs> And he looked at my pilot's license but, when I was 12. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, there's movement toward uh, them in the next season of Discovery. So I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, there really was so much character development in this episode, even with uh, Joanne Owoshikin and, and Detmer. And it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, just expertly directed by him. Really Really, just the scenes on Terra Elysium are so powerful and so emotional and well done. I love it and love rewatching it. It is uh, one of my favorites. Okay, so that was awesome. Let's do some secondary systems. Captain Pikachu, what do you want to rattle off here? Let's see what you can do with the secondary systems. Well, um, some of my secondary systems basically the first episode of discovery season three uh season three uh, yep, that, that hope is hope you is part you. one yeah and just like it's so cool to see discovery go into the far future and to show us that new future because i i felt like that was the first time in a very very long time that star trek felt new you know to the audience and it was a world that we didn't know anything about. We have no really expectations of. We have no idea what the world is going to be like, what the technology is going to be like. And it, it just, it truly was a brand new world in a way that I don't think any other show was able to previously do because it was always within that realm of era of like, oh, we kind of know how things are and we kind of know how things will be. And this was just like, it's blank slate, you know, (laughs) anything goes, anything can happen. Nobody knows what's coming. And just the way that they did the new technology, uh, the new ships, this new world, the new setting and the way everything grew and the different planets and how things went, like just throughout that entire season of seeing this new world and exploring it really it was just that was really beautiful and then my other one is also it's just uh for discovery basically all their mirror episodes because oh, I, yeah. I think i think discovery for me personally hands down has the best mirror episodes because the characters feel like characters you know they don't feel like characters or they they're used as a plot device like they're very much people and, you know, different people in a different scenario, but they're also very human and driven by human emotions. And and I love the way that they make characters like, you know, Lorca and Giorgio have that level of complexity that I don't think, you know, previous Treks was able to fully do with sort of the one-off mirror episodes. 
So having these continuous mirror characters and mirror stories, I think, was a brilliant way of showing that, yeah, you know what, the mirror universe, it's not just the evil universe, you know, not everybody is just evil, but there are shades of gray within that story, too, and characters can grow and change, and you can be a a homicidal maniac and, (laughs) you know, a genocidal dictator, but you can also be a human being and perhaps grow and change if you were in a better environment. I think that's a very Trek thing. All the way through to Terra Firma. So well done. So, And I love that the Hope Is You part one call out because they truly did such a good job making it feel fresh and new. So good. Uh, Beverly, how about you? Any any episodes you want to rattle off? Well, I actually was going to cover two things. The first is just the topic of twins because Daj and Soji uh, play by Issa Baronis. Um, Even though Data had created a daughter law in the next generation, this um, almost cloning of the twins um, speaks to what every child coming up goes through you go through this period of wondering how you fit into your family you either think you were adopted or you wish you had a twin to share the experience with and there's all these twins in literature from the Bobsy twins to Luke and Leia Skywalker um, George and Fred Weasley Wanden Pietro Maximoff everywhere you look there are these twins and um and then I just had a placeholder for Strange New Worlds because oh, I can't. You're going <laughs> to preemptively pick Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I agree with this choice. <laughs> I have a friend. Um, I told. I said I don't know how I've developed a, a crush on Captain Pike, but I have. And she said, "Well, they're still sapping that tree." And um, and then I look at uh, number one and. I'm excited to see how uh, she's going to come yeah. in and be such a, a great character because going back to the original series, that was when women in society were still going by Mrs. whatever their husband's name right. is. And you could be a vice president, but not a president, or you could be a co-captain, but not a captain. And um, there is a, woman from my town a durham named Polly murray and she sort of shows how if we use everybody's talents we really could make a lot more progress because she was denied admission to unc due to her race and denied admission to harvard due to her gender but she ended up uh writing the book that they based Brown versus Board of Education on. She worked with Eleanor Roosevelt and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She uh, refused to move to the back of the bus in 1940, way before Rosa Parks. Um, she helped co-found, co-found Now and became an Episcopal priest. And she's now considered a transgender person. So. Her whole oh. life is, you know, sort of like it could fit into Star Trek. So that's a, that's that's awesome and wow, that's incredible perspective. I love it. What what was her name again? Or their name again? 
Her name is Polly Murray. Polly Murray. Cool. That's yeah. great. Well, I love your uh, preemptive Strange New Worlds pick. That's going to be great. So, <laughs> we all know. All right. I'm, most of mine have been mentioned. My toughest cut was Calypso and, and The Escape Artist. I just love both of those short tracks. I love that Hope Is You Part 1 and 2. And I love that they bookend the season. Something new for... Track yeah. in terms of labeling and titles um i had magic to make the sanest man go mad i had remembrance i had my special shout out was going to be star trek 2009 the one that started it all for kurtzman but i will give my special shout out to i think the two on this list that haven't been mentioned yet absolute candor which i absolutely loved and lethe an amazing uh backstory for spock and Sarek. Okay, let's. Uh, this was fantastic, better than I could have ever imagined. Let's get into our regeneration cycle now and recap our picks and go through some stats. Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma. Okay, Captain Pikachu, recap your top five Kurtzman era episodes. So, my number five is um, Star Trek Picard episode one, Remembrance. My number four is The Lower Decks, Season 1, Episode A, Veritas. <laughs> and number three is Short Treks, both seasons. <laughs> number two is Discovery, Season 2, Episodes 1, 8, and 12. Cheater! <laughs> <laughs> number one is Star Trek 2009. Perfect. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, you had one from all five possible incarnations i love that uh beverly how about you okay well i didn't plan to uh be so picard heavy but number five was picard broken pieces number four was picard nepenthe and number three was discovery magic to make the sanest man go mad for number two Discovery Season 2, Episode 12, Through the Valley of Shadows. And number one, Star Trek 2009. Fantastic. So you had two Picard, two Discovery, and Kelvin Timeline at number one. And my top five, number round five was uh, Crisis Point from Lower Decks. Number four was Nepenthe from Picard. Number three, Star Trek Beyond from the Kelvin timeline. I love it so much. Number two, Context is for Kings from Star Trek Discovery. And my number one, also from Star Trek Discovery, New Eden, just a brilliant hour of Trek. So I had uh, two from Discovery and then one each from Lower Decks, Picard, and Kelvin timeline. So a couple of stats. We had... Three duplicates, so that's that's about what I would have thought. That's very cool. From the series breakdown of the five different series, there was one short tracks pick, which was all of them, so that's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) We had two lower decks picks, three from the Kelvin timeline, four from Picard, and Star Trek Discovery led the way with five overall picks. And the only other stat that I kept was the number of episodes with Captain Pike featured was five total, including uh, (laughs) three from Discovery and two from the Kelvin timeline. So 
I love as it. As it should be. Yes. As it should be. That's a perfect representation. I don't think I realized Beverly liked uh, Captain Pike almost as much as you, Captain Pike, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, once again, we have been hit by a temporal distortion. So before we can depart, it's time to hear from you. The temporal distortions are fracturing space-time throughout the ship. Cause? Unknown. Oh, we know the cause, Mr. Tuvok. It's all the amazing feedback that we continue to receive from our listeners here at Trek Ranks on this week's Temporal Distortion has sent us back to episode 105 in our top five scenes in a corridor. We got so much feedback for this episode. I could I could read you amazing picks for an hour, but I've got two lists that really stood out. So I'm going to go through those really quick with their five words and a hashtag. All right. So the first one is from Rosanna at Ensign Rosa. And on Twitter, and her first uh, pick, five words and hashtag, let me get your bag, hashtag, do you lift? And it's Captain Picard carrying Waxana Troy's luggage and struggling with it from Haven with Data and Jordy kind of <laughs> giving him a look. I love that pick. Uh, number four, he has nice legs too, hashtag, just down this corridor. And this one's Manhunt when Riker is also struggling to carry Waxana's uh, luggage to her room because Picard was smart enough to avoid it that time. So love those back to back. Yes. Well, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, number three from Lower Decks. Ops, 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 storage ops. Hashtag. We kind of sleep in a hallway. And of course, it's Boimler and Mariner showing Tendi around the ship in second contact. Number two. The Defiance is much heavier. Hashtag nothing to see here. It's Quark and Rom carrying the cloaked cloak in the Emperor's new cloak. And number one, back to that theme. Follow the calm panel lights. Hashtag do you hear an echo? And of course, it's Loxana stopping to ask the computer herself where Commander Riker is in Manhunt. So uh, <laughs> Ensign Rosa is a big fan of Loxana. Obviously, I love it. Okay, and then we've got some uh, amazing wordplay here from our buddy Sheer Ricking Hubris at Trek Fan Rick. He's got, uh, yeah, these are good. These are tongue twisters. Sulu shows some superb swordplay, hashtag, and it's, <laughs> hold on. The naked time. Yeah, I'm trying to, and it's, oh, it's, hashtag, and it's scared Shatner, and it's Sulu bounding through the corridors, topless and armed in the naked time. Number four, Borg bust up bashes brand new bulkheads. Hashtag don't let them touch you. And it's the uh, firefight with the Borg aboard the Enterprise E in first contact. Number three, conspiracist corpses crowd closed corridor. Hashtag uniforms belong to these two men. Oh, it's the the discovery of Burke and Samno in Star Trek six. Six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And number two, Welling Up Wharf's wonderful walkway wave off. Of course, it's hashtag by Wharf, the uh, goodbye to Wharf in redemption with everybody lined up to, to the transporter room. And his number one is Ensign Rosa had as her number two, Corridor's cloaking comedy crime caper, hashtag Rom likes the color. It's Quark and Rom carrying a cloaking device in Emperor's <laughs> new cloak. And I picked that too. So that's a fantastic scene in the corridor. I love those two lists more than enough to get us through this week's Temple Distortion. So as always, I want to thank everyone 
for all your great responses to the Trek Ranks podcast. Keep them coming to me at Trek Ranks on Twitter so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five Kurtzman era episodes or a list from any of our past shows. Give us a call at the Tricorder Transmissions at 609 609- 512-5527 that's 609-512-LLAP or you can just DM me and send me a link to a recording we can do it that way too so hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks and on the next episode of Trek Ranks we are doing a return to our favorite scenes in Trek that we just talked about it's the 11th time we're doing uh, scenes in Trek, and this one is a fun one. We're doing our top five scenes on a cliff. So many times, <laughs> so many times in Star Trek. Oh my god! So many times, our that, heroes end up on a cliff or that's fighting James on a Kirk cliff over and over. There you go. Right, they're fighting There'd on a be cliff. So much OSHA safety violations because oh nobody has handrails. Of course. <laughs> Hey, so, but sometimes they're not fighting. Sometimes you're just taking a nice view from a cliff. So tons yeah, of scenes on cliffs. <laughs> of course, of course. You, you can go back to Enterprise because they uh, were trying to rescue those uh, archaeologists. And oh yeah, you know, there's a oh yeah, that's a there's a ton of cliff scenes there. Nobody is safe on a cliff. Oh my god! All <laughs> right, so if you you two, both of you, if we had to choose one. Star Trek scene on a cliff. What would your pick be, Captain Pikachu? Oh, what's the God. first one popping in your head? Um, probably Kirk climbing the side of the mountain in, I think, Final Frontier. Fantastic! I didn't even think of that I just one. Feel like, why? 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 I'm just like, why would you do that? You know, that's literally <laughs> on a cliff. Uh, how about you, Beverly? Oh, it's got to be. Uh, Star Trek 2009. Every time you turn around, he's hanging off a cliff. He uh, <laughs> drove the car That's over so the cliff. Yeah. He um, uh, ended up on the device that was uh, drilling into yep. Vulcan. Yep. And the then Romulan he was ship? he was on the Romulan ship, ship hanging <laughs> off the bridge. Yep. And even there was, the, there was a lot of cliff hanging over there. He even had to climb out of a kind of a cliff when he uh, crash landed yeah. on Delta Vegas. So I love it. That's really oh, good. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's going to be a fun topic. All right. So before we wrap it up, a huge thanks to Captain Pikachu on Twitter and Dr. Beverly Falls. You guys just crushed it. I was wondering if you could show me how to access these subspace communications logs. And we're going to do that right now, Neelix. So any final Trek subspace communications you guys want to relay before we depart? Captain Pikachu, I hope you had fun. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, everyone everyone can follow me on uh, Twitter at Captain Pikachu. And uh, yeah, I would just be there screaming about OSHA violations that Starfleet doesn't do well in. One of one of my favorite things on Twitter is you screaming about OSHA violations in Star Trek. Well, there are many. <laughs> yes, there are there are many. It's hilarious. All right. And Beverly, oh, thanks for coming on. So much fun to talk to another uh, TOS old timer like myself. Oh, I love Trek ranks. I will <laughs> listen every time and uh looking forward to adding more fandom oh yes that's that is the best thing uh getting more and more people into trek we love that 
Uh, all right. Well, you guys are going to be back. So thanks again, everyone, for engaging with us here on episode 113-113 of the Trek Race podcast. As always, I want to close by saying I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong. What the hell? What did you do to my program? I made it into an awesome movie. I'm going to work some shit out. <laughs> oh, talking about a movie what you wrote out a whole script in two seconds i just like hit the act breaks couple set pieces set pieces my computer's filling in the rest i mean parts for the crew and all of us it's gonna be great i don't want to do a movie that's okay you were kind of a zon to be honest you probably weren't gonna make the final cut who's zon exactly oh i've always wanted to be in a movie <gasps> can i be the voice of the ship Final alert Final alert no no i got the perfect part for you you're gonna love it guys this is an important work tool not a fun thing to have a good time wait put down this. I just want to prep. Well, tough. You're just going to have to wait till it's over. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go get in the costume. Okie dokie. Woo! I'm not getting in anything. Mariner, I want these credits gone now. Hmm. Whoa. Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon data, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends Five Year Mission at fiveyearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it. Doctor, need, but I am a doctor. You need to get back to your seat. I had one in the bathroom with no windows. I suffer now. from aviophobia. It means fear of dying. Sir, for your own safety, sit down, or else I'll make you sit down. Fine. Thank you. This is Captain Pike. We've been clear for takeoff. I may throw up on you. I think these things are pretty safe. Pander to me, kid. One tiny crack in the hull and our blood boils in 13 seconds. Solar flare might crop up, cook us in our seats. And wait till you're sitting pretty with a case of Andorian shingles. See if you're still so relaxed when your eyeballs are bleeding. Space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. Well, I hate to break this to you, but Starfleet operates in space. Yeah, well, I've got nowhere else to go. The ex-wife took the whole damn planet in the divorce. Left is my bones. Jim Kirk. Corey. Leonard. 